No, sure. Hey, hi, hello, my creepy lovelies. Welcome back to the Ripper Multisode Multiverse. Today, I'm going to tell Dr. Manhattan about some shitty human beings. Yes, he is back. Joined us again. He... It's a long one. I will never be in charge of pressing buttons ever again. <laughs> but that was quite the entrance, so. Oh boy. I left him in charge of the spooky music box today, and that was the result. So Mistakes have already been made. Yes. Um, I was going to try to do these by time frame. I've swifted. I've swifted. I've shifted to do them by country. Also, as I was writing this, it came to my attention that I originally said there was like 17 plus rippers. Um, they were categorized as such in my big serial killer encyclopedia. But as going through, I only found a couple that were actually rippers. I pulled... Looks like seven out because they were really interesting and I wanted to, them to have their own episodes so they will have their own episodes. Um, also, as I go through, some of these are from like hundreds and hundreds of years ago, so there's not a lot of data. So I have what I have. I have what I found. Remember, I use all free research and I also have like a regular full-time job and other things that I have to do. How dare <laughs> yeah, right? Such an overachiever. <laughs> so, uh, without further ado, I thought it was proper to start in England since, you know, Jack struck mostly. And actually, st only struck in England. Um, struck mostly. Yeah. I see what he did there. Yeah. Um, so, the, the first person is Alton, and that's the only name I could find. That's the only name that was referenced in the big book of... Um, it's kind of badass, though. Like, one-named killer. Encyclopedia. Uh, and I wrote here in my note, I couldn't find any fucking evidence that this person ever existed, so Mr. Michael Newton, author of the Encyclopedia of Serial Killers, please tell me how you even obtained this information. Mm -hmm. Because in the back of his book, he's got, like... So it's really cool. So it's got, like, a bunch of different theories, and it, the book goes through, like, a bunch of different serial killers, but in the back, it, like gives you an index of serial killers. And so it'll say like their name, how many people they killed, what their MO was, and then like how many victims in the year that they were either, you know, executed or put to trial or whatever. That's how I'm finding some of these episodes. But all it said was Alton murdered several women in the Ripper fashion in the 1800s and he was hanged. Alton did bad things. Got hung for it. That's all we know. That's all we got. That's all we know. And I was like, oh no. I just, I already think that his motivation was being given one name. He felt cheated out of full names. Well. And said, you know what? I'm going to kill people for this. And it's frustrating because it, if he murdered women in the Ripper fashion in the 1880s, he could have been Jack the Ripper. But we, I have no, nothing yeah, else. Wasn't that, wouldn't it be like. Years past, or no? Hmm? Let me sorry. Scroll up through the forty fucking pages of notes. 
it would be something if like the actual Jack the Ripper was just some one named man that like no one really paid attention to and have no information. Yeah, no. Jack oh, was 1883 to 1888, 1889. Yeah, that's true. So it would have been. But all I got is Alton. <laughs> mm. So. Mm. Perhaps Mr. Michael Newton knows that that's Jack the Ripper and he is writing a whole other book and he wants to keep that information to himself and so that's all he's provided thus far. If this had a thunder button, I would press it. It doesn't? Well, I don't think so. Okay. So I need to get a drink of my water. So I guess we'll just move on and go to France instead. In summary, Anthem did it. Yeah. He's Jack the Ripper. Are you settled over there now, sir? Mm-hmm. Plot twist. His actual name is Jack Anton. There you go. I'm done. Okay. <laughs> um, so we're going to start in France with Anton Leisure, who was labeled a vampire and a cannibal. Um, he was born reportedly in 1795 in San Martin Betancourt. You know they're bad when they're just like, this man was a cannibal. Like, right away. Yeah. Like, that's that's your introduction to this person. <laughs> yeah, this is a cannibal. Oh, boy. Um, he told people at a young age that he preferred solitude as opposed to the company of other individuals. Um, he was an avid musician from the age of 15 and liked to play his bassoon in the woods. So we already have like a, okay, slowly walking backwards in the opposite direction. Um, in 1815, he was serving in the Soissons garrison, which is essentially part of the French military, but they're specific to the northern region. So I think that's where all of this stuff took place was northern France. Um, and after his service concluded, he returned home, but realized he hated living around people. <laughs> so, this is from a young age. Like he, this was like from yeah. basically childhood. He was just like, nah. Yeah. Over it. Super, super over it. So he was so over it, he left his hometown in 1824 to become a hermit. And he told his parents that he got a job as a domestic worker in Dordan, and that's where he was headed. Um, so for the first seven days, he lived among the poor in a village nearby of Dordan. But on day eight, he was like, this is too many people still. So he found a cave near Charbonnet Rock above the city called Mot. Oh, God, my French is so rusty. Moutromoel? Something like that. Uh, where he lived until the day he was arrested. So he's living in a cave near a rock, near a city. He's just away from people, living his best life. Um, he was only ever officially charged with one murder, but he's suspected of ripping out many hearts of young women and eating and drinking their blood. Yeah, so not metaphorically ripping out their hearts. Literally Physically. ripping out their hearts. Yeah. Um, so on August 10th, 1824, he saw a woman named Amy Constance de Bully walking by his cave. And he decided that he was just going to like creep up behind her and then strangled her with his handkerchief and then took her body into the woods to defile it with acts of necrophilia. And then he would later eat her heart. Because... I mean, that's how you get a little time revenge. I don't know. 
I just wish there was more context. Like this was, is all I could find. Was she also seeking to be like mm. was she wanting to be no. a hermit? It was like, oh, there's a cave. Didn't know it was preoccupied. Like, I just, think that she was just you know walking wrong, out wrong the, cave at the wrong time. Yeah, you know? on the outskirts of her village, and he was like, ha I will strike. Like, what the fuck? And also for somebody who doesn't like people, it just doesn't. Why? You don't like people. Where you're like, oh, she's banging. I'm gonna fucking just attack her. Like, what the shit? So, uh, took her body, defiled it, later ate her heart. Um, He decided it would be a really good idea to take her body back into his cave and bury her body there. And um, there's that. So, you know, just pulling a Gacy and putting her right under where he stays. Between the lines, it's almost like the town kind of knew that he was fucked up. Uh-huh. But just kind of thought, eh, we'll just let him hang out in his cave. Maybe he'll be all right. Well, that's what they thought, but this girl's disappearance was, like, really widely noticed. It's a small town, and everyone's, like, looking for her. So they start to suspect anyone who isn't native to their town, and they already have this creepy caveman who they're like, yeah, we know you're weird. We also know you're not from here. You're going to be our number one suspect. So they looked for her for five days, found her handkerchief because hers was left somewhere in between the attack because he just strangled her with his own handkerchief for some reason. Um, And so they, they find an article of her clothing. They're kind of close to the cave. And then a day or so after they find the handkerchief, they stumble upon the entrance of the cave. And they're like, this smells. This is like, this smells absolutely horrible, rancid, terrible smell. Because, you know, there's a decomposing body in there. And so they they follow the smell to the makeshift grave. And they're like, ah, aha, found her. Um, and so they find her, but Leaguer wasn't in the cave for some reason. So a couple days later, the guard noticed the guard of like the city or the town or wherever they were all actually living noticed him like being super weird in the area, but like couldn't catch him. Um, so he caught him a day later, but he needed help of some of the townspeople. And so they originally arrested him for just being like a vagrant homeless person. Cause it's like one half of the town was like this creepy dude is just being creepy and vagrant and shit. And the other half of the town was like, he just fucking killed this chick that's been missing. So, you know, Everything travels by word of mouth. It's not, there's no telephones. There's no like easy way to spread information. So the other half, the information didn't get over there. Um, So when he was arrested for vagrancy, he told the guard at the prison that he was an orphan who escaped um, from a region called Brest. No, sorry. He escaped from Brest prison where he had served like a 20 year labor sentence. So once everybody caught up to everything, They held a trial for him on November 23rd at the criminal court at Versailles, which I looked into because I didn't realize that Versailles had their own criminal court. Very interesting, they totally did. And they held the trial in private due to the nature of the crime because they were worried about mass angry mobs, and rightfully so. Yep, because it was probably a town full of people who were like, we told you this was going to happen with this crazy psycho man. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, he initially denied any responsibility, but confessed after being questioned by the judge and his lawyer tried to make a case for the insanity plea, but obviously it was unsuccessful. Um, and the jury found him guilty 30 minutes 
Yeah, 30 minutes uh, after 30 minutes of deliberating and sentenced him to death. Sorry, my note said 30 after 30. And I was like, what the fuck? It's interesting how far back the uh, reality of people trying to plead insanity has gone. Uh-huh. It's a lot interesting because in... Like basically, a couple hundred years now, you know, humanity just not wanting to take responsibility for the shit they do. Yeah, yeah. Well, and so it is... I think it's portrayed on like TV and movies as something that happens all the time and it's like successful, but it only happens. It's only like, I think it only works 1% of the time now since like maybe the nineties. It's a very, very, very hard thing to prove, especially now with all the advances and all the different tests and all of the different like psychiatrists and psychologists and neurologists and all of the experts you can bring in. It's fucking hard to do. So obviously he didn't win. They found him guilty of murder and sentenced him to death. He was guillotined because we're in France. So they were like, ka-cha! Goodbye, head. It's kind of impressive. Yeah. <laughs> I was going to say, let's bring the guillotine back. Like, it was efficient, did the job, made a statement. I think that goes against the, what's that stupid law? Cruel and unusual punishment. Yeah, the same reason we can't do firing squad anymore. unusual to, I don't know, cruel and unusual people that have killed. I know. I, you already know how totally I feel about that. Sense. I'm not in charge. Not in charge. Um, he's guillotined. The doctors performed an autopsy on his brain and they did indeed find brain abnormalities. I'm really curious to know what exactly the fuck that looked like in that time. Yeah, so I've been trying to find some stuff. It's fairly well hidden. Yeah, this has been the ass. Especially if we had access to a French library. We oui, oui. And we knew what to look for. Perhaps. And could read French better. But I also would argue that there's some of this they don't necessarily want people finding out either, so. Probably. Um, so not necessarily like a traditional ripper in this case, but we've got, you know, viscera being torn from the body of a young woman. Ripper vibes, basically. Yeah. Ripper vibes. Yeah. Um. I would say though too, like, sure the timeline maybe matches up, but like the story in terms of like him kind of being a loner, I don't really think lines up with. Jack. Yeah, in terms yeah. of like the accounts and all that stuff, but it's fine. Yeah. Um, well, it's also like. Oh, gosh, math is hard. Like a 60-year difference. Yeah. So, uh, our next Ripper-esque murderer is Joseph Philippe out in Paris. And um, it was difficult to find information that is accurate on a bunch of these older murders because A, they're super old. B, I don't have access to unlimited files. Like, yes, you still have to sift through a bunch of stuff on the internet, but... Historical societies are smart, and they want you to pay them to access their shit now, so that's annoying. And I can't read French thoroughly. I can speak a little bit, but reading it's like a whole other fucking other level. Um, I did, however, find a UK article written on in October of 1888 after the murders of Marianne Nichols, Annie Chapman, Elizabeth Stride, and Catherine Eddowes. And so this is where... Um, some of this data comes from because even though it was in 1866, a reporter was like, hey, did you know about this before all of this shit happened? Some people were paying attention. Yeah. Some. <laughs> the reporter who 
purportedly could read and write and speak French. Um, so we're January 9th, 1866. People of Paris are in a state of fucking panic, just like people of London were. There are 10 murders that have occurred over a three-year time span. It's just totally fucking rocked the city. Um, the last victim of Philippe was a woman named Maria Baudot, and that was uh, his most gruesome that he uh, committed as far as they could find. And this guy was way bolder than Jack, so... How so? I will tell you... <laughs> Because <laughs> that's pretty bold. Uh. Um, so, I'm sorry, I'm trying to read, catch up my note, but also, so where Maria was staying in her apartment, it was basically like in the same building as a police station. Yeah, that's bold. Yeah. So, um, she was technically like on police property the time that she died, and that's why I had to sift through my notes again because it didn't make sense into what I wrote earlier. And so here we are. So her apartment, right next to a police station. Police currently at this time had a very detailed description of him because a girl who survived 18 months prior to Maria's murder had given them a really good description. Um, so they knew who the fuck they were looking for. Whether or not he knew that. Yeah, I was going to say, though, you almost kind of wonder. I would lean toward he had to have some idea. Some idea. There's Especially no if someone who survived. Yeah. Um, yeah, so the survivor also saw him enter and leave the house of one of his other victims before she became the victim herself, which is probably why she became a victim. Anyway. Um, he had been, his face had been pretty severely burdened with pock marks on his face from smallpox. And he had a tattoo on his right arm, which said, I am born under an unlucky star, but the star was like the shape of a star. So interesting character. You're making a face. Yeah. It's just, it's a poor tattoo choice. It is what it is. Uh, again, definitely fits the characteristics of a bold person, I suppose. Yeah. Um, so like I said, murder of 10 mutilated bodies all across Paris. They're not concentrated to one area. Um, he didn't stay in one neighborhood like Jack and he didn't only prey on poor sex workers. Like he was a predator of opportunity. And so he grabbed what was available. Mm -hmm. um, so let's talk about Maria. On January 8th, after spending some time with family, Philippe found the outside door of Maria's apartment, just like wide open. And so he was like, dope, I'm just going to walk right in and walked into her bedroom. Uh, Maria shared this apartment with an older gentleman, which I assumed to be the early days of a sugar daddy. But also it occurs to me as I say this, that in these times, younger women were offered to marry older men all the time. It's not uncommon. Anyway, uh, Philippe is like in the apartment and he's kind of just like, watching her and he sees the old man and he sees that he's getting ready to leave. He's like, perfect. This is my perfect opportunity. Nobody's going to be here to stop Don't me. Don't do it, old man. Don't leave. And you know what's crazy is when the old man comes back, reportedly they brushed past each other and Philippe muttered goodnight to him as he was leaving. It's like a scene out of a movie. Yeah, exactly. So the old man is obviously the one who found her and alerted the police. Um, Philippe left 
would often leave the razor or the knife that he used behind, but because he didn't keep it by using what was available, you can't tell like any consistency from one to the other. Does that make oh, sense? Interesting, because they didn't really have DNA used the way obviously they do in modern times. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of a kind of a wild calling card almost, you know. Well, it's kind of like the axe man. Remember, mm-hmm. in New Orleans, he just grabbed the fucking axe that was in your front yard. Use your own tool on you. Hello? Cameo by Red Dog. Oh, he's right under me. <laughs> um, so Philippe took her purse, and her wardrobe had been, like, searched, but that was all that was missing. Um, so he's murdered her pretty brutally, takes some of her shit, runs into the old man who alerts the police. Um, on January 11th, he goes to a different lady's apartment where he had previously, like, worked on the apartment. And so he pretended that he left a tool there. Sorry. (laughs) Um, But she said, oh, I I don't have the tool. It's not in my house. It looked. And she's like, just leave. Like, you you can't come in my house. And he says, oh, okay, fine. Pulls a pillowcase out of nowhere and just tosses it over her fucking head. And says, hey, is this your pillowcase? It's my way to do it. Like... What are you doing? Fucking psycho? Had to get creative. Had to get creative. <sighs> he tried to strangle her with a pillowcase, ended up cutting her throat. Her neighbor heard the struggle, though, and came to check on her, but the Philippe wouldn't open the door. And the neighbor called for help, and then Philippe opened the door and very calmly said, like, oh, you know, Madame Midi is taken ill. Like, I'll go get a doctor. And he, like, ran past the neighbor. And... The lady, she's not, like, fully dead yet. She's just had her throat slit, so she's hanging on, and she starts yelling. She says, stop him, stop him, stop him. So the neighbor takes off running after Philippe. They eventually find him a couple streets over, and they find a big fucking knife, like, on his person. And so they take him back to his... Sorry. Nope, yeah. They take him back to his place of residence and search his room. They're like, all right, motherfucker, you literally were just in the middle of this crime. We're pretty sure you're responsible for some other ones. Also, you have this big knife. Let's go see what else you fucking have. Do you you want to guess what they found? Evidence. (laughs) Yeah. So it would appear that they found lots of blood-stained clothes in his place of residence, which is, like, very bold. Why aren't you washing your clothes? Well, Are you just keeping them? Like Is that your souvenir? Yeah, it's, it's, it's just, it's a weird... Showmanship, though. Yeah, a lot of killers are about those keepsakes, you know? Yeah, but the keepsake is, is usually specific to the victim. So I think a keepsake such as, these are the, the clothes that I murdered you in. It has your blood on it. I will keep it. It's, it's a very distinct uh, maybe, trophy. But maybe there was like some almost like uh, multiple personality aspects to him kind of wanting to like almost like brag to himself you know like maybe eh. possible they also found Marie's purse and in the purse there was like an empty razor case so she was murdered with her own fucking razor which is gnarly um during his trial a bunch of women testified against him and one even said that he had told her I am very fond of women, and I accommodate them in my own way. I first strangle them, and then I cut their throats. I don't know that I would consider that accommodating, but sure. I also just don't understand, like, you're at a pub 
or bar or restaurant and you're sitting next to a woman and that's the first fucking thing you say to her? Yeah, but there are nonchalant aspects to some of these killers. I feel like Gacy was super, like, chill while talking about... Well, yeah, but you remember those... So that... Words are so hard today. That one documentary we watched where he was, like, totally whatever, Mm. nonchalant. And then the other one we watched where he was like, I didn't fucking do any of that. That wasn't me. I had partners. No. No. Some of that's... There's so many ways that could go. Well, I mean, and of course, you know, there's editing and blah, 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 mm-hmm. producing and all that shit. So anyway, they finally caught the motherfucker. June 25th, 1866, he's tried for the murders of all 10 people. They finally had enough evidence from his place of residence to convict him. His defense attorney tried to plead homicidal mania, which was, I thought was interesting, but the jury told them to go, like, go fuck off. Seems like an oddly specific excuse. Yeah, um, it might have been like their version of um, the insanity plea, or it might have just translated from French to English as homicidal mania, but it was supposed to be the insanity plea. But either way, they guillotined him like right after the trial, so (sighs) dead. Um, And that's all I have on that very strange, terrible human. Um, he could have influenced Jack the Ripper if Jack could read French and, you know, knew about it. Because, you know, you've got the strangulation aspect, the throat slitting, and then the body mutilation. So it's possible. But there's also so many other serial killers that if it was reported on, anything could have influenced Jack. So, um, there's that. So I'm going to tell us about some shitty people from Germany. I'm sorry, my throat is very dry suddenly. It's okay. Very convenient. Pause. (laughs) We're going to start in 1570. So not those shitty people from Germany. Nope. Nope. Before. Before. Niklaus Stuhler was over in the Bavaria area that is now Germany. And he got kicked off into his murder spree by killing a fellow soldier in the cavalry. While they were all doing military shit together. He then decided that, ah, yes, I will go murder three pregnant women and rip their babies from them. Classy. Yeah. He's super fucking fun. Um, They called him, this is a terrible name in my personal opinion. He was called the Black Banger. Kind of believe there were some better choices. Yeah, I don't. Um, but obviously, his favorite targets were pregnant women, and the time frames are not exact. And I couldn't get any information on time of death for the pregnant women, if anybody survived, if the fetuses survived. But the good news is, he was tortured to death in 1576. Hmm. Happy ending. Mostly, yeah. So just that. Um. We also had another one, which just like <sighs> this, I, this book is like, it's so, it's such a great resource, but then you find things that are interesting and then you plug them into the internet to go see what else you can find. And then you get a case like this, Paul Minow in Berlin, 1907, this, this much information. Mm. 
Zero. I'm sorry, you guys can't see me. I'm holding a zero with my hands. Not even graves. Was known to have eviscerated three small girls under the age of five, to which he confessed to in 1907. That's all you've got. It's not recorded if he was sentenced. It's not recorded if he served time. It's not recorded anywhere that I could find if he, you know, what the fuck. And the problem is, is some of these names are from so long ago that if you type in, like, Paul Minow or Nicholas, what is it, Stuhler? Yeah. Other people... Yeah, you definitely get other people and not the ones you're after. Now come up and you're like, ah, oh, shit, like, this poor, poor fucking Minnow guy is going to think that I'm talking about him. But it's like, no, it's crazy. So I, I like to think that the uh, people in Berlin just, like, executed him quietly and handled it themselves. Good job, Berlin. Yeah. So... Um, we have two more. This next guy is from West Germany. Manfred Whitman, who was also known as the Beast of Oberfracken, also known as the Staffelstein Killer. Uh, from 1959. I apologize. My German is non-existent. Um, so I'm going to botch a lot of these. But here we go. Uh, he was born in oh, Katzelbrunn, West Germany. He was five, number five of seven siblings. His dad was a dairy worker and his mom was a housewife. He didn't get, well, he didn't do well in school because he had test anxiety. So when he grew up, he got a job as an asphalt mixer. Which I thought was interesting, because um, I didn't know that that was a job. <laughs> Growing up, he was considered a shy and unassuming human, which I think most, I mean, it's, I feel like it's one of three personalities of a serial killer. Serial killer. You're either shy and you hate everyone and you don't want to interact, or you're charming and you're over the top, or you pretend to be normal because you're masking all of these things so you can get what you want. It's always one of three. Um, he stated that after watching a pig being slaughtered while he was growing up, that he started to have like violent and murderous fantasies about torturing women with a knife. And um, He wanted to torture them for as long as possible before ending the fantasy by stabbing them in the neck. And so, um, you know, on Christmas Day in 1959, he decided to attack his sister's 19-year-old friend. Um, so, on Christmas. Uh -huh, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. He went home to grab a weapon and then beat the sister's friend to her house and then, like, repeatedly hit her in the head with a rock. Uh, after she was subdued to, you know, subdued enough. He forced her to undress at knife point and then she sustained some injuries to her neck, but he didn't go all the way through. So she pretended to be dead and survived, but not after her scratching up his face in between the struggle, which led to rumors of him, his involvement. But the wounds that she sustained to the head, that him bashing her in the head with a rock to keep her subdued, kept her from giving, like, an accurate description of her attacker. It's crazy. Yeah. So, 
In December of 1968, he murdered 14-year-old Nora Wenzi. And then August of 1969, he murdered 16-year-old Sigling Hubner. And then in November that year, he murdered 16-year-old Helga Luther with a knife. Very busy. Uh, They finally brought him to court in 1971. And they attempted to lynch him right there. The public had rioted and protested, and a bomb threat was called in, which caused the courtroom to be evacuated. Which, I mean, fuck them up, but leave everybody else out of it, jeez. It was reported that he killed them in a very beastly manner, but I had a really hard time finding exactly what that was. Did you find anything over there? There doesn't seem to be a lot of uh, a lot of detail, especially after that first one. Yeah. It's just that he was pretty rough about it. Yeah. Um, he was evaluated for sanity twice, and it was concluded that he was sexually sadistic, but they found him to be sane overall. He got three life sentences uh, on December 15th in 1971. Oh, I fucking forgot about this part. Mm. He was originally imprisoned at Straubing Prison, where he was a model prisoner, but in December of 2011, he was discharged because he was deemed very frail and weak. And of course, everybody was pissed and critical of the decision, as they fucking should be. Let him die. Let him fucking die. But mostly just, you know, keep him in jail or prison, like. Well, so what's interesting is, is apparently while he was in prison, they castrated him and gave medical treatment for his sexual perversions. So they finally, you know, got some people to calm down and the decision was made to release him in 2013 into the care of an unnamed retirement home. Mm -hmm. So he only served 43 years. If he's alive, he's going to be like 80, 85, something like that. It's just... By chance, he is fucking miserable. I just remember how we were talking about how, like, obviously the American judicial system is not anything to, you know, brag about. But we most times a life sentence is a life sentence here. It's not fifteen years, twenty years. It's not. Oh, we're in South America. You get 15 years. That's your life sentence. After that, we're going to try to transfer you to a menstrual institution and then lose you. Like, Yeah. It also just seems like weirdly nonchalant. They're just like, well, some time's passed and it is what it is. Well, they did that same thing with that creepy little murderous girl in my very first episode. Mm -hmm. They said, ah, yes. Be free. Live your life. Have your child. Keep your anonymity. What the fuck is that? It's foolishness is what it is. Slinky agrees. We're not actually mad. Well, we are, but not mad at you. So you can go back to sleep. Hmm. (laughs) Good boy. All right. Our last ripper in Germany is Thomas Rath. And these occurred in Bremen, Germany. 
Uh, this is not the fashion designer Thomas Rath. That one did definitely come up in my research, so I just want to make that very clear. Totally different human being, not the fashion designer. <laughs> took a long time to find any of this because all I got was fashion designer, fashion designer, fashion designer. Not that we don't appreciate some good fashion design, but not what we're looking for. No, no. So, <clears throat> this, this guy's really interesting. Excuse me. So, October 30th, 1981, British Shilling was hitchhiking home. Hitchhiking. Not hitchhiking. Home. That was the original term for it. Yes. From a disco near Bremen when she disappeared. They found her body November 6th naked, and her body had been desecrated with 27 stab wounds. 27. Except. Yeah. She was found on what's called Devil's Moor, which is about 100 square miles of marsh just north of where she was hitchhiking from. Um, November 7th, a 17-year-old girl was hitchhiking her way home from school. Uh, she told police that a handsome young man gave her a ride, but he didn't take her home. He took her to the moors, where he raped her and scattered her clothes around the marsh in an attempt to delay her from getting to the cops. Um, police were able to establish a pattern around December 3rd, when a 20-year-old woman was raped out in the moors and left there naked with her clothes all over the fucking marsh again. So that kind of brought them back to Britta's case to say, okay, we clearly have a pattern. This one is connected. What are we missing? Mm. February 9th, 1982, Hike Shiner was reported missing in Bremen and her work called the cops when she didn't show up for her shift. And they found her body on March 24th out on Devil's Moor and she had been stabbed 36 times. So we have two rape victims, two murder victims. They're all out in the Devil's Moor, 100 square yard of marsh land area. And, you know, we're, we're from 1981, and now we're at February 1982. So we've got a good chunk of time happening here. Um, May 22nd. Angeli Marks, 22, disappeared while hitchhiking from Bremen. They wouldn't find her remains for seven months, and when they did, all that was left of her was her skeleton, her clothes, and her purse. She was also found out in Devil's Moor. And then in July, all they've got is two rape victims who he assaulted... Um, sorry, he assaulted them. They're two teenage girls. And then he's just fucking quiet for the rest of 1983, at least as far as the pattern goes. And then uh, June 6, 1983, he kidnaps a 17-year-old girl at knife point and refuses to release her until she gives him oral sex. December of that same year, 20-year-old Martina Volkman was hitchhiking in the suburb of Bremen trying to get to Hamburg when Rath picked her up. They found her body later um, on that same day with 100 stab wounds and semen in her mouth. So it's kind of like he's experiencing like specific events that drive him to kill, but then he's like satiated and can just go back to sexual assault and rape. And I say just go back to sexual assault and rape very lightly because it's all of that is traumatic and just fucking. Mm. 
I am frustrated with the fact that they didn't catch him sooner than they did. Because it's one dumping ground. Like, why aren't you staking it out? Like, what are you, you know? Like, how was he able to just come and go from a place where you know he's going? I don't know. Anyway. Um, January 4th, 1984, he abducts another teenage girl and forces her to give him oral sex. He does the same thing with a girl in February. And then in March, on the 8th, he picks up an 18-year-old girl. We're still in uh, 1984. And she, super smart, asked him for a cigarette first. And he agreed. She lit it and then smashed it in his face and jumped from the car. And um, he drove away because he was pissed, obviously. But she memorized his license plate. And then when she got back to the cops, they were able to trace the plate to... Do you want to know how old Thomas Rath was while this was happening? 60s. 24. What? Yeah. 24 years old. Mm Mm-hmm. He started young. Yeah. He confessed after a brief interrogation and was sentenced to life in prison on April 26, 1985, provided he undergo therapy while in prison. So, not exactly a ripper. The last few, like I said earlier, I did some more thorough vetting on. I had to pull them out because they weren't enough to be classified as rippers, in my opinion. And the last seven or six over there on my corkboard, I thought were really interesting and deserved their own episodes. So I will have them on their own episodes. And this kind of brings us to the close of the overall four-parter Jack the Ripper saga where we... Talked about his crimes, analyzed some of who the fuck people thought he was, talked about the lack of the reality behind the H.H. Holmes connection, and then talked about some other terrible people who may have influenced him and, you know, how he killed and vice versa. So, 40 pages later, I can't even tell you how many hours of research. Yeah, we still don't fucking know who did it. We're never gonna know. We're never gonna know. So, just no justice, no answers, but Mm. who knows. But it makes for good podcasting, and that's what matters. It does. So, that's all I have for this episode. Um, Upcoming episodes, we've got Ham coming back for an episode on the Gensey River Killer out of New York. That's not a good accent. Anyway. (laughs) <laughs> I don't want to revisit that. No. I, I won't. I refuse. No. Can't gonna do it again. Uh, and then we've also, you guys voted on the Instagram. We're gonna be, where's me, and Slinky's gonna listen, talking about the Megalodon theory and how scientists are very confident that even though Megalodons are extinct, air quotes, there is a shark out there that's slightly smaller, that's in the ocean, right fucking now. Wouldn't surprise me at all. Right now. Right now. Um, I've got to do a little bit more research on that one. There's this TikToker shark conspiracy guy who's done some legwork for me, but I need to go back through and, you know, vet all of his stuff. He's very emphatic. He follows all the shark trackers. And what's interesting is as you watch his videos, 
a lot of these very large great white sharks either swim massive distances in no time at all or disappear for months and then just reappear. So it's not like a new tracker was added to the shark in between the time that they disappeared and reappeared. It's just they're going somewhere where they cannot be tracked. And I think that's where the megalodon lives. Possible. So I stay out of the ocean for the most part regardless. So That's all we've got. Do you want to give us uh, any final words, Dr. Manhattan? Perhaps an exit sound? Anything? <laughs> Justin, you play twice. They all play twice. That one seems like, like a profound second time around. So, okay. it's been a great journey here. The, the Ripperverse, as I will call it. The Ripperverse. Mm -hmm. All right, y'all. Thanks for joining. You will hear my voice on another upcoming Wednesday. <laughs> okay, bye.